0: My name is Jason Nordup, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J.
1: Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J.
2: Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J. And thank you so much for tuning in to episode 177 of Chasing Dreams. First, guys, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by our Patreon campaign supporters. Thanks to all of you for your support. Beginning January 2019 as a thank you, Patreon supporters will have exclusive initial access to a bonus video conversation with our guests. Even donating a dollar an episode goes a long way. For more information on our Patreon campaign and or if you'd like to donate to help keep the show going, please visit amyj21.com slash Patreon. Guys, I want you to meet a friend of mine, He is a true superhero and the definition of not all superheroes wear capes. He is Jason Nordiff. He is a married 32-year-old police dispatcher with a two-year-old puppy and is expecting his first child in April. He donated his kidney in 2014 and has dedicated as much of his free time as possible to advocating on behalf of kidney patients and organ donors. Not all superheroes wear capes. It's an amazing thing that he has done And I am so proud and happy and stoked to be able to share this conversation with you guys about his journey to being a living organ donor and why it's such an important cause today. So just check it out. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me.
2: It's it's about time. We've been talking about this. Life has gotten in the way so many times, but it's 2019. I just feel like new things are happening now. And that is why you're here today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot going on in my life between career changes, life changes. Uh, my, my dreams have, have changed and molded and formulated. And I'm, I'm very excited to be here to be able to, to discuss everything and share my story with everybody.
2: So, interestingly enough, you are a dispatcher. And so when you were young, is that something you saw your life going towards?
0: Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a career path that ever really formulated in, uh, in, in my thoughts. Growing up, growing up, at one point I wanted to be a computer scientist, and then I turned into I wanted to get involved in government and politics, and, and that formulated into um, working for the government and civil service job as a police dispatcher for my county.
2: Wow. But that's also, interestingly enough, as you were going through those options, those choices, trying to figure it out, here you are now, dispatcher. Are you happy with where you're at?
0: I'm very happy. So just a little bit more background. Uh, When I was going through college, I had to pay my own way. And my dad was actually working at the same place I was, performing a different function. And when I ran out of money for college, Mm -hmm. I, I applied and they hired me. And 11 years later, here I am. Uh, with, with a great career and uh, what looks like a great path forward. And there's only room for me to grow.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and the, th- the reason I ask is sometimes people hear of atypical jobs like yours and think people aren't necessarily satisfied with that, that they just settled on it. And I, I wanted to dissuade some people and say, hey, you've chosen this profession. This is something that you want to do. People don't always realize that because it's not something they necessarily pick. You find that to be right. the case.
0: So a lot of a lot of what happens growing up, uh, when you ask a, a child, an infant, uh, or, or even a little bit older school age, they always you know, a lot of the common career paths that they want to pursue are: I'm going to grow up and I'm be a firefighter. I'm mm-hmm. going to grow up. I want to be a police officer. Usually, in those situations, they have a family member who was a police officer, who mm-hmm. was a firefighter, who was an EMT. And dispatching is not as glorious of a job, but they are ultimately the first first responders, because without us receiving those calls for help, the people who were providing the help firsthand wouldn't know where to go or what to do.
2: You actually make a very good point. The, the dispatch is the first point of contact, isn't it? When yes. asking or requesting for help. I got to admit, I think I would be intimidated by that job, scared that, you know, I, I wouldn't respond fast enough or, or just Not do something right. Did you ever have those fears or qualms as you were taking this job?
0: So when I was in my training process, I was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then it came time to learning how to answer the phones. And I was deathly afraid of answering the phones. And uh, I don't know what exactly got me over it. But I can say this as a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. uh, at all levels of my job, I didn't learn anything without making a mistake first. So, I make a mistake. I understand my mistake. I learn how not to make my mistake again, and I try to move forward you know, there's There's nothing wrong with making mistakes as long as you're and I tell this to new people today who get hired there's nothing wrong with making mistakes as long as nobody has died, as long as nobody you know there's no serious repercussions to what you've done there's always room to learn, and the moment you stop learning is the moment that you really should find a new job, but at the same time, if if you can't figure out how to not necessarily fix your mistakes, but learn from your mistakes, you are going to just be in a in a standstill, and um, you're, you're, you're not going to learn much of anything.
2: We were talking earlier offline about um, a new philosophy of sorts that you're kind of embracing this year about saying yes and saying no and, and which one you should do. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I, when you said it, I was like, amazing things could happen with that.
0: Over the last few years, especially professionally, uh, I've said yes to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And it felt very gratifying to know that people were depending on me to get certain things done uh, in a certain fashion, and a certain manner. But over time, especially more recently, uh, as I've had consistent uh, large amounts of time off from work, I've realized that it's impossible for me to do everything as well as I would like to do it. Mm. So I had to have the conversation with myself first to say, if I want to be good at something, I can't be pulled in different directions. I can't focus on five different things when I really need to be focusing on one or two different things. So when, you're, when you can't, not that I couldn't handle doing all of those things very well, but you can't do them the best. And um, I really just wanted to reduce the amount of stress level that I had and and not have to worry about all the different things that, that I was expected to do. So I had a tough conversation with myself, had a tough conversation with my boss. And I said, listen, if you want me to help this organization grow better, I need to be able to focus on one thing at a time. And I really want to be the best at that. And I think that if I can focus on these one or two things, then I can really help this organization grow and move forward.
2: You know, uh, if you're listening to the audio of this, you can't see me nodding my head and just like, yes, yes. And the reason I do that is it's it's a very brave thing that you did. One, to realize and recognize and have that conversation conversation with yourself. Not easy at all, right? And then to take that conversation and what you've bravely decided to your boss and said, hey, I need to cut back. I need to scale back, not just uh, for the for the business, but for myself. You know, that's a very selfless. And some people, well, it's a self-ish, but also a selfless because you wanted to do better for those around you. And I right. don't always see it that way.
0: Right. So a big, a big issue in public safety, whether it's dispatch, whether it's actual responders, police, fire, EMS, is uh, mental health. Mm. And it's a topic that's not discussed in the open. Nobody wants to admit that they're the weak, the the weak person, or, or they don't want to be perceived as the weakest link. So they keep it all bottled up and it's not good. So... There's a lot of things that can go into improving that, whether it's removing the stigma of discussing mental health to uh, making sure resources are available to everybody. So if they need someone to talk to, I know our, our employer has uh, an employee assistance program that provides uh, counseling uh, opportunities. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it, things could always be better. But in the meantime, we have to work with within our means and and some of that is being able to say no and and knowing what our our limits are and our abilities are and and where we we think our focuses should be.
2: I love that though because you've made that decision. We're still in January and it you know having that insight early on is a great sign of what the year can bring if you're already being honest with yourself about where you're at and what you can and cannot do. Because it's very hard to, to do that with yourself.
0: Right. And the, I mean, the other, the other thing is, as well, is uh, I'm expecting my first child in the middle of April. So it's to the point as well where I, I need to focus on my family. Uh, as you've experienced trying to uh, book this interview with me <laughs> over the last couple of years, um, life, life happens very quickly. And with, with the, the nature of the business that I'm in... You know, I, I work so many hours of overtime or I'm getting my schedule changed to do training or you know, I've got doctor's appointments or, or for chiropractors and, you know, or I've got to be with the wife to, for her doctor's appointments. And it, it, if I'm going to have a good home life, like there's no sense of me bringing a child into this world if I can't provide some sort of normal yeah. And for me to be committed to my career, to be committed to my family, there has to be a, a better balance than what I've been doing over the past 11 years.
2: And I think the other key to that, though, is aside from you making the decision, is accepting it. Did you struggle with that, accepting that you'd have to make this decision and what it would mean?
0: I did. And it was it it was it was very much so tr- a struggle because you don't ever want to admit that you aren't strong enough, or you weren't yeah. capable enough to do everything. Uh, but the important part is that you just have to be honest. And, and, it's, and it's so hard. It, it, it very much is hard. And, and it's...
2: I feel right. like we're harder on ourselves. If you told the same story to somebody else, or if somebody else came to you with that same scenario, hey, I'm spread thin at work, I have all this stuff going on, I have a baby coming, you would probably, at least I know I would, I would be like, you need to cut back.
0: Right. And and I think everyone has pretty much understood and we have, we have a fairly large department. So I'm hoping that whatever void I may or may not have left by pulling some of my respect from some of my responsibilities mm-hmm. that other people get the opportunity to fill in.
2: That is and a great point.
0: It's not all about me. Like, it's really not about me. I, I could care less about my career path at this point. I mean I obviously I wanted to to go forward and move on, but at the same time, for the betterment of the organization, there's other points of views out there yeah. that probably aren't being heard and that could be for a couple of reasons. It could be that the bosses don't want to hear those opinions. It could be that these people don't have the courage to to voice their opinion um, so it could be it could be a combination of both i mean it's 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 tough to really. Uh, to really say for sure.
2: At the same time, I I still, I think, you know, you make a great point, instead of trudging along suffering, why not give someone else a chance? Right. That's essentially what you're doing.
0: It's, it comes at no financial cost to me. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's a a little weird when people still approach me as if I still had some of those responsibilities, but (laughs) it's, 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 you know, hey, can you can you look at the schedule for this? And I said, well, I don't have that anymore. I gave that up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's a struggle for me because I enjoyed having access sure. to certain things that I had with those responsibilities. Yeah. And now, now I have to give it up. and I'm such a control freak um, at the same time. But I know that for the betterment of the organization, I need to I need to trust that the other people. Uh, in in leadership positions or the other people filling in the roles that I was completing. I have to trust that they can do their job.
2: You know, you've always been a helper seems and you, I don't want to say recently because now, now we're at four years. You did something so selfless in 2014 that it's, it's apparent that you're still being helpful. Right. But let's talk about what you did in 2014. I, I gave a small, Glimpse teaser, if you will, to to the audience. But why don't you exp- describe a little bit of what happened then?
0: So on January fourteenth, two thousand fourteen, uh, which the uh, I believe it was the fifth anniversary was just yesterday. Um, I donated my kidney to the stepfather of one of my best friends, um, and uh, today um, we are great friends. And we, every year we get together. In fact, we're getting together in a couple of days to uh, go out to dinner, my wife and, and him and his wife to, to celebrate the five years. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to see the ability he has to enjoy himself, his life, his wife, his family, his children, his grandchildren, um, to, to see the turnaround from where he was five, six years ago to where he is today is just simply amazing.
2: I mean, um, you were 27? So
0: yeah, uh, yeah, I would say 27. Yeah,
2: so you, you were in your 20s. And you, how, how do you decide to give your kidney?
0: <laughs> That's a very good question. It's a question I get quite often, actually. And um, a lot of people would say that I should keep it in case my other kidney goes bad, I should have the second one as backup. Well, the science behind it is if one goes bad, the other one's not far behind because mm. they're so connected as a system. So if I'm healthy enough to donate, well, they say that, that living donors, the odds of them getting kidney disease is lower than a non-donor, only mainly because that they are so healthy as long as they maintain their healthy lifestyle, get their annual physicals, get their blood work, sure. maintain, you know, do their exercise, eat right, if the odds of them getting kidney disease are slim to none.
2: But Jason, let's talk about this for a second. Like, let's talk a little bit more because one, you not only decided to give your kidney, right? You didn't necessarily know you would be a match,
0: right? So I was. There was a group of seven people who uh, volunteered to get. Tested to donate their kidney. I believe I was number five. I was the fifth person to actually to get tested. And I was the first person to be declared as a match. Um, so a lot of people will say that I'm a hero. You know, I've done amazing things. But I would also argue that the seven or six other people that volunteered to get tested, they're also heroes. They are also willing sure. to give up a part of their body to, to save someone's life. Sure, absolutely. You can't take all of the credit. It, it, credit goes to, to those people as well.
2: Oh, yeah. I'll I'll, listen. I give credit to the other six. Absolutely. I I got to say, weren't you seven?
0: uh, I I, no, I was the fifth to get tested.
2: Okay, Yeah. But
0: there were two other people that were willing to get tested.
2: That's I mean, it's phenomenal one to be to even consider it. Right. Because you could, like you, be a yes. And so what are the odds? Do you know what the odds are of you being a match?
0: Uh, I'm not sure to be honest with you, off the top of my head, because we are we are not really. I mean, we are the same blood type, so that helps uh-huh. that increases the likelihood. Um, but the odds aren't crazy. Um, like I've seen family members who don't match to their family members. In fact, some of the first people to get tested were his family members, right. and they weren't. So I, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, um, but. To, to go into the other reasons why I donated, um, I grew up in a family of public service. Uh-huh. My, my grandfather did 67 years in the volunteer fire department before he passed away a couple of years ago. My dad did 25 years uh, when I was a young teenager. I did a, a few years, and um, you know we always were there for the community, um, and that's how I was brought up to help other people in times of need. Sure. So I see my my recipient Bill Rudy, who is has been out in the community, you know, helping with the local thrift shop and helping out with the you know, holiday gift baskets and, and various other things, and growing up with his uh, with his stepkids and and, and his daughter. Uh, so it, it felt like that, even though he wasn't a blood relative, I felt like it was something that I I feel like he would have done for me if the roles were reversed.
2: Yeah. Okay. So how long were you out after you donate?
0: So I was out of work for four weeks. Okay. And one of the, one of the reasons why I was so willing to donate on the topic of being out of work is I working for the government. I have a decent amount of uh, paid time off and I had enough, enough sick time at the time to put me out for a couple months. So being able to volunteer, if somebody else was able to donate, but they couldn't afford to take off of work for four weeks, right. I figured, why can't I step in and take four weeks off of work and and not suffer such a huge financial uh, loss?
2: Did you ever hesitate?
0: Yes, uh, there was the moment, the morning of the surgery. I hesitated. Uh, they had to put the IV in my arm, and the person who did the IV did not do it properly. And I passed out and it was a big thing and there was no risk of me ever, the doctor ever saying to stop it. But at the time I was like, if if the doctors can't or if the, the whoever the anesthesiologist sure. or the nurse, if they can't get this right, how are they gonna get that right? Yeah. But it worked out. You know, it was you know, I came back to it, we fixed everything and, and we went right into it. I was I was telling jokes right up right up until the time I, I went under.
2: That sounds about right. That sounds about right. So now that you've donated, right, you can't give up your other kidney. You need that. But, you know, you're still helping out with this. You're still encouraging others to be living donors. Can you talk a little bit about why it's such an important cause?
0: So when I I donated my kidney at, at age 27, I thought to myself, I can't just stop doing things, right? So it's like winning the Super Bowl in your, in your rookie season in the NFL and then retiring. Like you have so much more to give. Like I have so much more to give than just my body part. Right. I wanted to, to do something. I wanted to advocate for my fellow potential organ donors <laughs> and, and kidney patients. And one of, the, one of the other factors in me wanting to donate was – dialysis, which is a valuable tool in treating, you know, and in, in helping people live through kidney disease. But you'd have to go for multiple days a week for hours at a time mm-hmm. for until you get a new kidney. And that's not a way that anyone should live their life. So I, I decided that I would want to take my education. I went to School for Political Science, and I interned with the legislature in New Jersey. And I figured I want to be able to figure out a way to use my education and my experience to change public policy to allow for more organ donations. So I, I was perusing the National Kidney Foundation's website one day and noticed they had a kidney advocacy committee, which I applied for and was accepted to. And the main the main goal of the advocacy committee for the National Kidney Foundation is to lobby legislators uh, at all levels, but mainly the federal level, to ch- uh, to write, sponsor, and pass bills to assist with kid- uh, detecting kidney disease at an earlier stage, um, protecting uh, living donors when it comes to health insurance mm-hmm. and life insurance, so they're not discriminated against to uh, different pilot programs with Medicare and getting Medicare to cover uh, immunosuppressant drugs, anti-rejection drugs for more than 36 months. Um, so there's a, there's a lot that goes on within the kid- kidney community that needs attention. And that's something that I can, I can definitely help with.
2: I have to admit, I never thought of any of that.
0: The hard part about kidney disease is that it's not a very popular disease, for sure. lack of better words. Okay. Like it, you see all these, uh, you yeah, know, cancer is obviously a huge deal not to take anything away from cancer. Yeah. It's a serious thing. That Both I can don't be serious
2: don't things. Don't, Absolutely.
0: So it's hard to bring focus to kidney disease, despite the fact that 10% of the country probably suffers from it, most of which don't even know it um so it's hard to bring attention to it or, or get people to focus on it when there're seemingly other issues out there that may or may not you know be more i'm not going to say it's more important but it's it's hard to get people to focus when they're distracted by the the latest headline or the the latest Twitter trend or or the uh, you know the the big diseases and and you know I, I don't wish any of these negative things on anybody but there, there definitely needs to be more of a voice for people with kidney. Disease.
2: You know, it's interesting you say that because um, not people who you know talk about something there there could be a topic that's important and right now at the forefront of the entertainment TV news channel cycle and then if you mention something that's just as equivocally important. Um, at the same time, people can panic because they're like, how dare you forget about this topic? That's what we're talking about. Why are you bringing up other things that are irrelevant? And I think people forget, you know, we're we're humans. We're complicated creatures, but we can also care about more than one thing at a time.
0: Right, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, what I try to do, and, and, and again, like you said, you can focus on more than one thing at a time. Yeah. What I like to do is I like to personally... I've tried, I've learned to to stay in my own lane, per se. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I have an opinion about a lot of things, um, I feel like my legitimacy and my reputation. gets more respected when I when I focus on one thing. Uh, I see a lot of people, uh, especially on social media, one week, they're raising money for cancer. And one week, they're raising money for multiple sclerosis. And one Mm -hmm. week, they're raising money for literacy and education, which are all fine and and perfect causes. Sure. um, Worthy of attention. Um, But I, I feel as though that uh, my reputation increases in a more positive way when I can just focus. And, and uh, it also allows me to avoid distractions. Um, I was watching the news the other night, and between serious stories, there's a, a, a news story about how a gold egg on Instagram broke the <laughs> record for most likes on Instagram. Like,
2: all right. Um, I, 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 I had it. heard of it. I haven't looked at it. I'm not one of those likes, but yeah,
0: I, I just, I just went right. Like, I just ignored Like as soon as I saw an egg was getting millions and millions okay. of likes on Instagram, I, I had to stop paying attention. And I, I keep thinking to myself, that's 20 seconds that we could have gotten to help out kidney disease. Sure. And an organ donors. Yeah.
2: But you know, there's something to be said about being focused, um, you know, on a cause and being known for that. I mean, one of the reasons we connected is because of your story, your selflessness and just your dedication to supporting this, this cause. And I think it's very important. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious because once I heard your story, part of me, I had so many questions, things like, you know, when, when you donate, aren't you afraid that you're limited in what you can do now? Don't you think it would hold you back from fully being able to chase your dreams and things like that? I mean, did that ever, is that a concern for you?
0: Well, there's uh, immediately during the recovery, I, I couldn't lift heavy objects, mm-hmm. you know, out of fear of hernia. It's a standard thing for all surgeries, but they wanted uh, the doctors really recommended that I stay away from um, physical activities that could um, impact the kidney I have left. Such a you know, no mixed martial arts where somebody could kick me in the kidney, right? You know, football where I Just could take tackle tackled into the kidney, yeah. You know, Soccer is rugby, yeah, a all bit of bad, that, but there's still a risk. So, like, there's, there's, but at the same time, um, uh, we haven't seen each other in person for a while. But if you, you've seen me, my physique uh, does not allow for uh, all of those physical activities that the doctors have had asked me not to do anymore. Mm-hmm. So there was, <laughs> there's no worry of that. There was no future of an NFL career for me.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, or the surgery. So not being able to play football after the surgery
2: wasn't a loss. Good. Okay.
0: <laughs> so. um but well, yeah, I, I don't feel like I lost anything. I'm, I'm a perfectly normal human being. I can still consume alcohol. I still um, eat the same foods that I had. Um, you know, there, There's not a single thing that's different about
2: me. Well, so it's interesting you say that because I think the misconception, and I'm going to call it that because I think I misunderstood as well, is that if you donate, then you're going to be living a half life. You've just sacrificed half of your life to this other person with by giving an organ, and now you can't live a full life. That's it. And I think that's a misconception I had, and I'm sure others had it as well. But I guess from what you're saying, that's not true.
0: Right. Hmm. Living organ donation wouldn't be a thing if people couldn't live a full life with only one kidney. So you have to think that as long as as I said before, the, the kidneys are connected, right? So if I have one kidney or if I've got two kidney disease is going to affect me all the same at some point or another within a short amount
2: of time. Just delayed maybe.
0: You know, but, but now that, but let's take living organ donors out of the equation, right? So my recipient before uh, he got my kidney had two bad kidneys. Okay. So let's just say he gets a cadaver, you know, by the, you know, by the misfortune that somebody passes away and he gets their kidney. Now he's living with one kidney and he's going to live a perfect life. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously he's going to have to take medication for the rest of his life, but, right. but he's able to then he can
2: still do you know, stuff,
0: right? He can still live the life that he was living. So it, it transfer that thought process over to living donors. You know, I'm living a great normal life too. Right. Now I'm only down to, I've got the same amount of kidneys. My, my recipient has we're sure. both living our lives the best that we can.
2: So you may not be able to speak to this, but I thought I'd ask as you're a living donor, Kidney is uh, a common donation for living donors. What other organs or things can be donated by a living donor?
0: So uh, lungs um, or parts of the lung, I should say, is is a popular one. Uh, the okay. um, bone marrow is, is a huge one. That's that's I wouldn't say that's an easy one, but that's that's a very common. one.
2: Okay.
0: And uh, I have a lot of appreciation for bone marrow donors because my father-in-law, after he retired a couple of years ago, uh, came down with a form of cancer that required a uh, bone marrow transplant. Wow. And he has since gotten that transplant and made a recovery that's been somewhat miraculous. He's still dealing with some minor medical issues, dealing with, with the The science behind it that I'm not all familiar with. But uh, overall, like the the worst is behind him because he was able to uh, receive a stem cell transplant.
2: That's amazing. I mean, I, I really feel like I'm I'm learning a lot about being a living donor that I didn't know before or that I misunderstood before. What would you say is something aside from what we've talked about that is commonly misunderstood by people about living donors that we can correct right now?
0: Well, I mean the 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 number one question that I got when I decided to donate my kidney was uh, about my ability to consume alcohol. (laughs)
2: Everyone,
0: (laughs) I mean, it's funny, but but people people ask, you know, oh, are are you are you ready to give up drinking for the rest of your life? I'm like, that's not a thing, not at all. Now, if I had an issue with my liver. Know, or if I donated my liver, then then I would be have a, a much bigger problem with consuming alcohol. Sure. Obviously, when it comes to drinking alcohol, you want to do it in moderation and you don't want to be driving. And you want to you want to make sure you're living a healthy lifestyle. Sure. You don't want sure. to just, you know, consume alcohol and binge drink all the time because ultimately that will affect your kidneys when it comes to blood pressure and
2: and, and, and dehydration, things like that. But but as far
0: as you know, as long as I'm drinking in moderation, right. I'm good.
2: So, what you're saying is, when you when you're a living donor, while you are a superhero, you're not super proof from alcohol right. poisoning, and therefore, right. be careful.
0: Right. Oh, absolutely. Even if you're you have two <laughs> kidneys, you if you're 100 percent healthy, right. Still drinking in moderation, and, and you know, don't <laughs> drink and drive. And these all are valid
2: stuff. points you make. These are yeah. these are valid points you make. So, what would you like to see change? Uh, I'm curious in the next five years on the landscape of kidney donation,
0: kidney donation. So uh, part of my duties as uh, with the advocacy committee with the national kidney foundation mm-hmm. is we go to Washington DC to physically get face to face with federal legislators or their, and, or their staff members. Sure. So uh, I think this year is going to be their fifth year that they've done it. Now, we, we, team up with the Association American Association of Kidney Patients and two or three other kidney organizations from around the country, and, and we go to this Kidney patient Summit. And uh, so there, there's a lot of legislative issues that I've, I've touched on briefly uh, a little bit ago, but we really need to just increase uh, organ donation and living organ donation because that's ultimately the best way to, to save people's lives with kidney disease. Um, but there's a couple things on the state level that I'm interested in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, uh, legislation that was introduced by Reed Gussie and a former assemblyman, now he's the mayor of Trent, uh, would have made New Jersey an opt out state. So currently, for you to become a deceased organ donor uh, or an organ donor when you die, is you have to opt in. You physically have to sign up and register as an oh. one. What he wanted to do when he was a member of the legislature is he wanted to make New Jersey an opt out state. So if you had a problem with giving your organs up when you passed away, then you would have to physically go somewhere and say, I don't want to give my organs. Right. So that wouldn't affect living donations so much other than reducing the need for it, but it would certainly uh, lower the waiting, uh, shorten the waiting lists and, um, you know, ultimately save more people's lives.
2: Interesting. Okay. So I have two more questions for you. Yes. One, I think I know the answer to. Would you change anything now that you've given, you know what happens afterwards, would you change your decision to donate?
0: Not only would I not change my decision to donate, I would probably do it again if I physically could. Mm. One, of the th- one of the common themes amongst living donors, altruistic donors, is that they would do it again if they absolutely yeah. could. And. Um, uh, my friend Satira, she she's uh, a volunteer with the Gift of Life Donor Program. We're going to an event uh, in a couple of weeks to register organ donors and we're we're going to be spreading the news and um you know, it, it's just it's just important.
2: Yeah. I'm so proud of what you've done and the awareness you're bringing to it. And as someone who's kind of living their dream regardless of that, right? What is one thing you would recommend someone do today as they chase their dreams?
0: Just don't give up. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to face roadblocks. Your dream today may not be what your dream is tomorrow. It could be the same dream. It could be a similar dream. It could be a completely different dream. But you'll always have to take time to self-reflect and to see what you can handle and and where you want to go because... There's really the only thing that travels along the path of least resistance is water. <laughs> there, <laughs> there really, there's really is everything else in life. There seems to always be barriers
2: mm-hmm. and
0: and roadblocks, and you just have to figure out a way to go around them or or just alter your direction. It doesn't. Not everyone's dreams always come true, and not a, especially how that's planned out.
2: Yeah, the valid point, Jason. Thank you so much for coming on the show talking about chasing your dreams, talking about your amazing story and selflessness. I really appreciate it.
0: Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me. It was a great time.
2: And guys, that was Jason Nordis. He has done an amazing thing, continues to do amazing things by working so hard for the cause of organ donation and living organ donors today. And, you know, look into it. Definitely look into it. And if if it's something that you believe in or you want to learn more information, you guys can find more information about Jason and that um, over on the show notes page at amyj21.com slash episode 177. That's episode 177. Till next time, dream chasers, keep chasing.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams.